have a seat this morning. So good to be with you in church today. How are you doing? Everyone's okay? Everyone fighting the sniffles and the sore throat. Pastor Ralph's at home today. He's not feeling too good. Someone got him sick. Someone from Koinonia. No, I don't know. I'm just kidding. I heard Koinonia had an amazing time. Who was here at Koinonia on Friday night? Amazing, amazing time. Yeah, I heard it was really, really great. I couldn't be there, sorry. Uh, but uh, love to be supporting you. All of you joining us online, we are so glad to have you worshiping with us today. Uh, have you ever gone to pour your bowl of cereal or to get that morning coffee and you go to the fridge and you find out someone's put the container away empty? Like, yeah, all the people who say, yeah, like, you have kids. I know, I know you have kids, right? Because you, you know, instinctively, you're like, I know someone put, how, how many have a husband that puts the, the milk away with just like, just enough to say it's not empty and you put it back in the fridge, right? Like, it's, it's you, like you drink it out of the jug and then you put it away. Just, <laughs> I'm kidding, I don't do that. I don't know, I think a couple of months ago I told you that I did. I don't know. Anyhow, enough about me. Have you ever gone to the front of the checkout line and uh, as you were cashing out and you got to the front, you've been waiting to make your purchases and uh, as you got to the front, you saw the little sign that says what? Cash only, right? How many of us these days are not cash only people? You're like, oh man, I got tap, I got debit, credit, no cash, right? This week I was scheduled to do the live stream on Friday, 21 Days of Prayer, and uh, we've been doing it on Facebook and Instagram, and so for me, I run Facebook off my laptop, and I run Instagram off my phone, and I was getting ready to do the live stream and realized I'd forgotten my phone at home, and so I had to go and get it and uh, get back in time to do the, the live stream. So it's kind of perplexing when you realize that you don't have what you need, right? Like, how many of you have ever been driving and you're like, I need to get gas? I need to get gas. And if you're anything like me, you're probably like, but I just don't feel like getting it right now. <laughs> right? And so what happens? You put it off and you're like, well, I'll get it later. But how many know later you're in a little bit of a rush, right? You're like, I know I need to get gas, but I don't want to be late. So I will get it later. Well, at the end of the day, you're like, my wife's going to kill me if I'm late for dinner, and I know I need to get gas, but I don't want to get in trouble, so I'm going to get it later. And then the next day, you get up and you forget that you needed gas, and you just die in the middle of the road. Anyone ever had that experience before? I, I saw this. Someone's <laughs> some of you are on the opposite extreme. It's like you use a quarter tank, and you're like, oh, I got to fill up, right? <laughs> but others of us, we can relate to this meme right here. Anyone go to Sunday school as a kid? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And some of us live our lives that way. Well, whichever category you, feel, uh, you fall into, whether you're like praying to the very end or whether you are filling up at a quarter tank, uh, there's times when we feel like we're running on fumes. You know, maybe personally you felt times where you were spitting and sputtering and you just felt like you were running on fumes. Maybe it was physically 
or emotionally. You just felt like the pressures of life were mounting, uh, you know, work and family and other responsibilities. And you just felt this sense of like, I just am looking, I need relief. I just need some encouragement, some joy, some peace. I need some hope in my life right now. Maybe for some of us, it's like that spiritual tank is empty and you just felt like, God, I'm just desperate for a touch and for a word from you. You know, and sometimes in these moments, it feels as if like when we're driving, you know, like you just feel like this pressure to keep going. If I just push through this, if I can just keep trucking and make it through, uh, then, then I'll fill up later. Sometimes we feel empty of courage and boldness. How many know that we have this incredible pressure to conform to the values and philosophies of our world right now? There are, you know, we, we live in fear of being uh, canceled or ridiculed or unfriended for having unpopular beliefs at times. You know, well, Jesus was preparing his disciples for what was to come when he would return to heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but when we're going away, uh, my wife doesn't leave the fridge empty and say, good luck, kids. I hope you fare well, you know. She goes and she prepares for them, and she goes and she sits them down, and she says, everything that you might need, I've thought of, and it's all here for you right? Everything that you might need, I've prepared for you. Now, when she goes away and leaves me at home, she goes, well, you'll fend for yourself. But (laughs) how many know that Jesus isn't like that? I'm kidding. She's looking. She takes good care of me. I'm I'm joking. I'm joking. But I do know people who have like, oh, never mind. That's like, yeah, never mind. I was going to say some people have frozen dinners put in the freezer for them. But, uh, I don't need those. I'm independent. And <laughs> We're already digressing. Okay, keep going, Jeremy. Okay, this is not an, a Jeremy unhinged day. Okay, so Jesus knew what was to come, and so he gathers his disciples, and he goes, hey, guys, I'm returning to my Father, but I just want you to know that everything that you need, I've prepared of. I've thought of it. It's all there for you. In Acts chapter 1, if you'll turn with me there this morning, Acts chapter 1 Verse 3 says, During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. I, I love this. I love this idea that the disciples were like, like, Jesus, are you sure it's you? Right? In many ways, he kept proving to them, no, it's me, guys, it's me. Right? And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. And then this next verse, we see something that Jesus says is going to be crucial uh, for them to fulfill their God-given purpose, their mission on earth of representing and extending the kingdom of God throughout the world. He says, guys, you're going to need something, but don't worry. I've thought of it. I've prepared it for you. And this is what he says in verse 4. He says, once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus is preparing his disciples for the reality that physically he's no longer going to be with them day to day, but he wants them to have the assurance of his presence through the person of the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit will not only be with you, but he will indwell you on the day of Pentecost. What an amazing promise and gift of Jesus, that he has thought of everything we need and has made provision for it for all of us who love and follow him. Well, Acts 1 continues. We see the disciples are, they're kind of asking more questions. They're kind of, you know, what, what should we expect, God? And, and like, Jesus, what are the timelines? Like, when are you returning? And like, all of this. And Jesus diverts their questions and he emphasizes this one thing in verse 7. He says, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. They're not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching. And they could no longer see him. Everything you need. They're like, well, Jesus, what's the timeline? What's it going to look like? What's going to happen? Jesus said, don't worry about all that. God knows those things. He says, all you need to know is that you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so the disciples, they follow Jesus' instructions. And it says they return to Jerusalem. And they begin to await the promise of the Holy Spirit. What were they waiting for? They didn't know. What will this look like? I, have you ever been waiting for a package to arrive? You know, a gift sent to your door just before Christmas. My friend called and said, well, Holly's birthday is like Christmas Eve. And so I've sent a gift. It's going to come by Amazon. And, but it's not going to arrive until like the week after Christmas. And so, you know, this, we're like, okay, we're waiting something. Well, what is it that we're awaiting? Well, we don't know. It's just coming. That's all we know. And so the disciples, they go and they're awaiting. They're praying. They're uh, worshiping. Worshiping God together, and 10 days later, it says they experienced it. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. That on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like to flames and tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Everyone say each of them. Each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So we have these people, they're waiting the promise. They're awaiting this gift. They don't know what they're waiting for. They just know that it's going to be good because Jesus promised it to them. And so they're worshiping and they're praying and they're waiting. It says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, all of them, in this place. Well, they began speaking in tongues and people around them started hearing this commotion. You know, 120 people from this room. It must have sounded quite loud. And so people began to gather around and there was, a, there was a mixed reactions to what was happening. It says in verse 7 that there were many who were amazed. Wow, this is incredible. What is happening? There were others who were perplexed. In verse uh, 12, we see they're saying, how is this happening? And then in, in verse 13, we see others who... Or ridiculing, you know, these guys are drunk, right? And so there's a mixed reaction to what is happening. Now I want us to see here that it says that Peter gets up to address the crowd. I just want to remind us that just a few chapters before, Peter was running in fear from the servant girl who had said that she'd seen him with Jesus. Peter, who had lacked courage and boldness, who was living in fear, all of a sudden stands up to address this crowd and he explains to them, we're not drunk. 
It's only nine in the morning. It's too early for that, right? Well, some people might disagree. I don't know. <laughs> but he says that's not what's happening. He's saying this is what we've seen uh, promised by the prophet Joel in the Old Testament. In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit upon all people. And he begins to preach to them about Jesus Christ. In verse 37, it says, Peter said to them, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I love verse 39. He says, This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. How many are so thankful for us who are far away, right? Or recipients of this promise today. All who are called by God. It says over 3,000 people responded and the church was born. What we see here is the amazing thing about this promise is that the gift of the Holy Spirit is not just for a particular people. It's not just for a particular time. It's not just for a particular task. It's for everyone. It's for me. How many know I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, right? It's for you, and it's for you, and it's for you joining us online, this gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I just want to say I understand that there's a little bit of difference in Christian circles about the understanding of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and maybe you were raised in a bit of a different tradition or a different understanding, and that's okay. That's okay. We love you. The Bible says here that in 1 Corinthians 14, it says, let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives. And so even though we might interpret scripture differently or understand this differently, uh, that's okay. We can love each other this morning, right? Can you love me even if you disagree with me? Yeah, okay, I can love you too if I disagree with you. But here's what I understand. At the end of the day, regardless of the mechanics of it all, what I see in scripture is that we should earnestly desire spiritual gifts. I see that. Whether, you know, whether, however it works, what I want to come to is this place of saying, Jesus, I don't understand it all, but what I do understand, I surrender to you. And what I know for sure is that you love me and that you want the best for me. And so because of that, I want to receive everything you have for me. If it's from you, Jesus, I want it. Right? If it's from you, Jesus, I want it. As I read through the Bible, I see time and time again people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I want to pray this morning, Jesus, would you fill me? Fill me afresh today. You know, we've been in this series called Living on a Prayer. And we've been talking about getting outside of our, our, our mundane Christian lives, just that Monday to Friday doing the routine. We've been talking about kind of growing beyond like the repetitive prayers and, you know, the, the bless me and bless the food prayers, you know, God keep me safe, be with me. But we're talking about, God, would you search my heart? God, would you, I'm opening my life to you. If there's anything in me, we talked in work on week one, would you show me and convict me so that I can walk in righteousness and holiness? Last week, we talked about the breaking. God, would you break me free of anything that's hindering me from following you? Break me free from my grip on sin and addiction. God, would you break in me those places I've learned to limp so that I can actually find healing and wholeness? And many of you uh, told me that you responded with that last Last week, but this week we're simply praying this God, would you come and fill me? Come and fill me today. 
Now, obviously, I'm a Pentecostal pastor in a Pentecostal church, so I'm going to preach from a Pentecostal tradition today. And so, uh, like I said, we're going to love each other. And uh, maybe you grew up with a different perspective. That's okay. Uh, Maybe you can learn something from our perspective, and that will be great today. But here's what we believe. Pentecostal simply means that we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, that the way God moved in the New Testament, God still wants to move in us today. Simply what it means. The baptism and the gifts of the Holy Spirit or for all who would call on the name of Jesus. But we see through scripture and our perspective that there are two uh, big events in the life of every individual. The first one is when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus, when we believe that the sacrifice of Jesus paid the penalty of our sin, uh, and we ascribe to his amazing love in that moment that we are made new. In that moment, we receive the promise and the hope of eternal life with Christ, that we are transformed, the old life is gone, and we are made new in Christ Jesus. Well, there's another experience that we see takes place in Scripture that contributes to the fullness and to the power of the spiritual Christian life. And we call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it's one of those things, as I look through theology and I look through, um, you know, uh, biblical teaching, it seems to be one of the most misunderstood or uh, undervalued or underemphasized gifts that God has for every believer. Now, as Pentecostals, theologically, we believe that baptism of the Holy Spirit is a second work of grace subsequent to salvation. So that we are saved, that we are brought into the life and the family and the kingdom of God. We are made new. But we also see the second work where God brings us into the power and the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to unpack that a little bit today. Now, we fully believe that every believer has a personal encounter and relationship with the Holy Spirit that takes place at the moment of salvation. When you give your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is like a seal or a promise and is given to each and every one of us. You receive the Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes in you. He coaches you. He guides you. He convicts you of sin. But we see the baptism being a second work where we learn to partner with the powerful person of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus describes it here, and we'll see it in a few times, where it's talking about the baptism of water, which means repentance and salvation. And then we see also described the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 8, we see this laid out. Acts 8, uh, verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. There's a couple places like that where we see through Scripture. And here's one of the things about uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'll be honest about it. Uh, there's not always like a chapter that teaches directly the, the nuts and bolts. The, the one plus two equals three uh, part of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. A lot of it is inferred. You read the story and you are inferring what's happening. The same way the Bible never talks about the Trinity. We all believe in the Trinity. We just sang about God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. That's not taught 
in the Bible, but it's inferred from the scriptures that we read. And so this is where we get our understanding of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in texts like these and throughout the rest of scripture. Now there's a lot to be said, there's a lot that could be said about the baptism of the Spirit. But you know who I think is best equipped to teach about it and talk about it? Jesus. Jesus is the one who can teach us and help us understand best what the baptism of the Spirit is about. And so as we read in Acts chapter 1, Jesus clarifies for us the purpose of the baptism of the Spirit. The baptism of the Spirit isn't so that we can achieve some like level up in Christianity or some like gold star, like, you know, like levels of, it's none of that. It's none of that. He says there's two purposes to the baptism of the Spirit. The first one is spiritual closeness. And the second one is spiritual strength. Spiritual closeness and spiritual strength. There's a greater closeness with God personally. When we say, God, I want more of you in my life. That's what the baptism's for. There is strength. When we say, God, I need your strength today. I want to make the invisible God visible to the world that I live in. God says, I'm going to do that through you by the power of my spirit. Let's talk about spiritual closeness. Acts chapter 1, verse 5, Jesus says, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now when he says baptized, this word in the Greek is the word baptizo. I love it. I just wish I was Greek sometimes. Like, baptizo. How many know it would be a lot more fun around my house if I was Greek, right? Like, you know, it's being baptized, you know? Like, I don't know. Is that Greek or Italian? I don't even know. <laughs> I just like all the food. That's it. I just like all the foods, all the like, whatever you could do this for, uh, I'm in for it, right? <laughs> Jesus says you'll be baptized. Baptizo simply means submerged, dunked, immersed, to be totally drenched. Jesus said you're going to be drenched and immersed in the Holy Spirit. As we read this word in the, in the, old, in the Greek context outside scripture, sometimes when we're looking for you know, meanings of words, how is this word used outside the Bible at, the, at that current time? And this word was used to describe a sunken ship, a ship that had been baptized in the water. Anyone ever had a ship baptized in the water? You sunk your canoe, you were baptized right? It was also used for a recipe for pickles, right? You got to baptize those cukes in the brine. You got to get them. In. How many know there's a big difference between a, a cucumber and a pickle, right? It's the same thing, but one's been baptized and it's been changed. Jesus is saying, John immersed you in water, but I'm going to immerse you in God, right? Because who's the Holy Spirit? It is God. So I'm going to immerse you in God. I'm going to drench you, soak you, saturate you, surround you in God. How many know it doesn't get any closer than that, right? It's going to get you close to God. And so in Acts chapter 2, in these events that we just read, we, we see that it was a personal experience, that there were over 120 in this room, and they had the disciples. We see that here that Mary, and the mother of Jesus, Jesus' brothers are in this place. And at this time, it says that all who were there were baptized, ordinary people like you and me, experiencing a personal encounter with God by the Holy Spirit. You know, I believe that God wants us to have a personal encounter with him today, a deepening and deepening sense of him working in us and through us today. We all need a fresh encounter with Jesus. 
You know, some of us are going through such difficult time, right? We're going through difficult seasons, and we need to know the peace and the presence of God in a fresh way. You know, if we're honest, there are sometimes that some of us would say, if we're being honest, that we're living in the spiritual encounter and experiences of the past. You know, maybe in years gone by, we had an experience with God, but we just we need a fresh encounter with God today. Some of us have been living in sin and disobedience. We just say we need a fresh cleansing. We need that work of the Holy Spirit uh, in us. And so we all have different reasons, but we all need a deepened sense of closeness with God today. That's Jesus' intent, that the Holy Spirit would bring us within whispering distance of his voice. The Spirit will come and live within you. Jesus said he's with you now and then he will be within you later. He's the whispering distance of the Holy Spirit who lives in my heart. You know, I just love that. That sense that I can hear the voice of God because I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Pastor Dennis White, he says, the single most important thing to do as a follower of Christ is to listen and respond to the voice of the Spirit. Single most important thing you can do. Jesus said, I'm going to put my spirit within you. He's going to be your coach, your counselor, your guide. He's going to be the one who enables you and empowers you. So listen to the voice of the spirit. Now, regardless of what life brings, the ups or downs, we all need this spiritual closeness. As I read, it was personal. They all were filled uh, each one of them, and it says that they were, they were filled, they received the Spirit. Now, you know, some uh, traditions will say, well, we receive the Spirit with salvation. And, and that's true. Uh, that's true. Every believer, like I already said, has this relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. The Bible calls us the temple of the Holy Spirit. In, uh, in Luke, it says that Jesus was talking to his disciples before the day of Pentecost. And it says that he breathed on them and said, receive the Spirit. That he breathed on them and said, receive the Spirit. And yet, we still see here in the second event, this book of Acts, that they might have already had the person of the Spirit at salvation, but they were being filled and immersed with the baptism of the Spirit. Now the word filled is really swelled up to be saturated with and I was thinking in the night last night I should have brought some props with me today but how many know if I had a glass, just picture right here, I'm going to mime to you my illustration, okay? We haven't had a mime illustration in a long time so picture I had a glass of water, right? And I had a pitcher which represents the Holy Spirit and I, if I took that glass of water and I was to fill the cup, the cup would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? It would be filled with the Spirit. It would have the Spirit within. It would be filled with the Spirit. But what the baptism is, is it's not just filling of the cup within this, uh, of the Spirit, but it's like taking the cup and then dunking it into the pitcher and saying, now you are submerged, immersed. You are uh, within and enveloped by the Spirit. In Acts 19, verse 2, we see this happening again. It says that Apollos was in Corinth. Paul traveled through the interior region and he reached Ephesus where he found several believers. And he asked them, did you receive the Spirit when you believed? They said, no. We haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. What baptism did you experience? And they said, we experienced the baptism of John. Paul said John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John told the people to 
put their faith in Jesus. And soon after this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Paul laid his hands on them and the Holy Spirit came on them. And they spoke in other tongues and prophesied about 12 men in all. And so we come to uh, infer from these stories that there is a subsequent moving of the Spirit. Sometimes it happens right at salvation and whether one happens first and, you know, they happen together simultaneously or we see here that there is a basis to understand that do happen subsequently. That part doesn't really matter. What really matters is that the baptism of the Spirit brings a spiritual closeness and it brings spiritual strength. Right? You're going to be baptized. It doesn't get any closer than that, Jesus says. And then he says, you're going to have strength. In verse 8, Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. Now, I recognize that when we talk about the power of God, some people get a little nervous. Can we just admit that today? Where are you going with this when we're talking about the power of God? Some of us feel like if we ask God for the baptism of the Spirit that God's going to make us do some weird things. Anyone grow up thinking about the Pentecostal church? Like that's where they, they roll on the floor. They call them the holy rollers, right? They have the chandelier swingers, you know, the, the shakers and the move, all the, I don't know, I haven't seen any of that at Bethel for a while. Our chandeliers, uh, they look like they're pretty sturdy. They can handle some of that. But that's not what we're going for. I remember one time I was doing some work and I was cutting wood and I had a power saw and I went to unplug the saw and the plug had come a little bit out of the socket and as I went to grab the plug, I grabbed the prongs to pull it out of the socket and my arms started flapping like this. I was, you know, and sometimes that's what we think of when we think of well, the power of the Holy Spirit is going to come upon me and make me do all kinds of stuff that I don't want to do. And so there's some stereotypes. And because of that, we're afraid to ask Jesus for the baptism of the Spirit because we've seen of spiritual excesses. We've, we've heard of people faking it. You know, we've, we've seen things exaggerated and it has scared us off. But what I want to encourage you today is not to let the misuse of God's gift cause you to miss out on God's gift. I want to let the misuse of God's gift cause you to miss out on God's gift. You ever were a kid and you had a sibling and they were getting in trouble and then because they were getting in trouble, you know, they're like, that's it. Like, nobody, you know, is you're like, that's not fair, right? I'm being punished for what they did, right? We don't want the other people's misuse and abuse of God's gift to cause us to miss out on what God has for us. See, the response to misuse shouldn't be disuse. The response to misuse is correction and proper use of the gifts of God. Jesus said you'll receive power. It will be spiritual strength for you. And so if you grew up in the Pentecostal church, you might remember saying that this word here in the Greek means, anyone? You don't remember? This word power is? Dunamis. Dunamis power. You're like, oh yeah, yeah, I remember. You remember what dunamis power means? It means dynamite, dynamite right? Dynamite power. We're like, okay, that's great, except for one thing. 
Jesus didn't have dynamite in the Old Testament. It hadn't been invented yet. So when we think about dynamite power, right? This power that explodes and causes disruption and, and disarray and causes harm and injury. That's not the power that Jesus was picturing. Jesus wasn't picturing dynamite power, but he was saying dunamis. It's the same amount of power, but it's the power harnessed for the work and the purpose of God. Isn't that amazing? Dynamite power, dunamis power. And so when we think about people manipulating the spirit or forcing people to, to receive the gifts, we, we kind of like, I, I don't want any of that. And to be honest with you, as your pastor, I don't want that either. I remember going to church. I grew up in a Pentecostal church, just to be honest with you. And, and I've seen all kinds of great things. I've seen, I've seen healings. I've seen words of prophecy. I've just seen words of knowledge where people just were led by the Spirit. I, last week, just here at church, we had an amazing tongue and interpretation where some people were saying, you know, that really spoke to me. But at the same time, I've seen some weird stuff. I, I remember going to a church one time and the altar call came, you know, respond to the altar. And there's this little old granny you know, probably about this tall, maybe about 80 years old, and she was going around and she was punching people and stuff. Touch him, Lord. Touch him. You know, and she's going around punching people. I'm like, I don't need you to punch me in the stomach. Right now, now I need healing, right? You know, or whatever it is, right? That's not what we're looking for. We want what God has for us. We want what God has for us. We want to be hungry and thirsting for what God has for us. In just a moment, we're going to have a little bit of time to respond, but I think this is going to be bigger than a moment. I think this is a stirring and a hunger that been, God's been putting in the hearts of many of us to have a season that we set aside to focus on God and say, God, whatever you have for me, I want it. I want to, today you might respond and we're going to just have a time of worship just to make you at ease. We're going to have our prayer team here. They're going to come and they'll pray for anybody who wants anything, including the baptism of the Spirit. But we're just going to have a moment of worship wherever you are. And I'll talk about that in a moment. But, but this encounter with God isn't just about, um, you know, receiving the Spirit. When we think about receiving the Spirit, what often gets tied to that is speaking in tongues. We read that. They receive the Spirit and they spoke in tongues. But here's the thing. The goal isn't to get people to speak in tongues. That's not the goal of the baptism of the Spirit. As Pentecostals, we believe that that is one of the byproducts of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's something that we should earnestly desire, as Paul said, desire the spiritual gifts. And especially, he says, don't forbid the speaking of tongues. And I personally believe that tongues is for everyone, that everyone can speak in tongues as the Holy Spirit gives them utterance. I think it's a lot easier than we make it out to be, and I'd love to talk to you about that uh, at another time. I'll talk about it just a little bit today, but the encounter isn't seeking tongues, it's seeking a fresh experience with Jesus. And so the way to go about this is to simply worship and praise Jesus. And here's what the purpose of all of this is. The purpose of the power is so that you'll be my witnesses. It's not that you'll speak in tongues. It's that you'll be ready to speak to other people about Jesus. Maybe you're here and you're like, well, I already do that. I already do that. Well, Acts says that, that we are receiving this power to be his witnesses. And when the Spirit of God encounters our flesh, we begin to speak inspired words. This morning, we need spiritual closeness. We need spiritual strength. I, I want to tell you a story about my friend Carlos. Uh, Carlos, he, he, he wrote this down so eloquently, and so I just want to read it for you today. 
says, a few years after becoming a believer, I desired so much to go deeper in my walk with God. I had heard early in my journey about there being a baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I had several opportunities to be prayed for during church services, but I never experienced much. At the time, I remember it was discouraging, but then I began reading his word about all the people in the book of Acts receiving the baptism in the Spirit, and it inspired me. Instead of getting discouraged, I began to seek him more and more. The difference was that now I was focused on Jesus. I sought the giver more than the gift, the baptizer, baptizer more than the baptism. The more I grew in my father's love for me and getting to know Jesus like a friend, a lot of my doubts and fears about the Holy Spirit and how I had tried to put him in a box began to fade away. I just wanted to know him. One day I had the opportunity to share my faith with my parents. All that God had done in my life, how I had encountered Jesus, how he had saved my life, my marriage, how he'd filled this emptiness, this void in my heart that for many years that nothing else could have satisfied. Long story short, at the end of the night, they were not weeping. They were not ready to give their lives to Jesus. In fact, it was the total opposite. I think I caused them to put up more of a wall than opening their hearts to him. I was devastated. That night I couldn't sleep. I remember getting out of bed, going to another room and just weeping and praying to God for my parents and letting him know how I could not do this on my own. That I was terrible at sharing my faith and that I needed him to come through for them and for me. And as I was crying out to him, I felt this urge to express myself in a different way. It felt like a wave coming from within, out of my mouth. It increased more and more, so instead of fighting it, I began to cry out using these new words that I had never used before. I just kept going even though I didn't know what I was saying. It just kept coming. And then it increased even more, and in this beautiful, intimate connection with God, I was flowing in a heavenly language. Even though I couldn't understand what I was saying during that time, I felt like deep down I was fully surrendering things in my life to God. It was an incredible experience. After that day, I felt a new level of trust that God was going to pursue my parents' hearts. A new level of trust to take risks and to share my faith with more people and a new level of trust and letting him into all the places of my life and heart that needed his love and healing. He's so good. He did all of that. Now this morning, I want to make this a time just to respond and to set aside to say, Jesus, spiritual closeness, spiritual power, I need it. No matter how we look at the mechanics or the theology of, of what that looks like, at the end of the day, we all come to this place and say, Jesus, if it's from, from you, I, I love you, you love me. I know whatever you have for me is a good gift. I want all of it. Would you come and fill me today? Now, some of you might feel while you're worshiping today or at home, I know a couple of people I talked to this week, they, they were experiencing the gift of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. And they said, you know, it, it, it just felt like these words were coming to my lips. It's almost like I was experiencing, you know, this rising up in me of these sounds. And how many know that when you're learning, anyone ever learned a new language? That you ever did like Spanish training or French training or whatever it is? It's super awkward. It's super awkward when you're learning these sounds. It sounds weird and you're making weird sounds and you don't understand what you're saying. And I love when I go to visit uh, Quebec, I go to Montreal sometimes and I go, hey, let me practice my high school French, right? And I'm just butchering it and they're like kind of being really patient with me and it's weird and it's awkward. In many ways it's like that with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. It's kind of like 
and the Holy Spirit will give you a sound. You just, I feel like I should make this sound, but here's what I want you to know. This is how to receive the baptism of the Spirit and speaking in tongues. This is why I think it's easier uh, than we make it out to be. Because we just start to worship. We worship Jesus. We focus on Jesus, not on tongues, not on the gift of the Spirit. We just worship Jesus. That's our focus and that's all you need to do. That's your part. Bible says then it's the gift of the Spirit through Jesus given to us. So it's God's part to baptize us with the Spirit. It's up to Him. And so in that moment, it's, it's Him doing it. And you might feel like that, that stirring in you, that, that passion in you. And, and you might, there, I feel like something's kind of rising up. I just need to, and, but the, here's the thing is that when we speak in tongues, it's not God possessing us. It's not just like God forcing us, to using our lips. That's not what God does. God partners with us. And the purpose of tongues is to empower us to be his witnesses. If I could trust Jesus to speak in an unknown language in my prayer closet, I can also trust Jesus to give me the words to say when I'm in public and when I'm sharing with my friends and my family in words that I do know. That's the whole purpose of tongues and the evidence of tongues uh, uh, of the baptism of the Spirit to empower us to be his witnesses. And so we trust Jesus. This is weird, it's awkward. This just might be me, this just might be gibberish. That's how I experienced it personally. At 16 years old, God, this is so weird. This is just me making this up. But I wanna encourage you just to persist. Continue to let that flow, continue to speak those words and it becomes a part of your everyday life where it becomes this natural uh, progression just to pray. Pray in tongues and I pray in the spirit. That's what Paul says, I pray with the words I know and I pray with the heavenly language. And it's just this fluidity of saying, God, I'm flowing in the presence and power of the spirit for the purpose that one day, not one day, but today, I can go out and be your powerful witness in this. Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, we pour out our praise to you this morning. God, our thoughts and our attention are on you. God, we want to be your vessels. God, we want to be filled with you. Not just filled with you, we want to be saturated with you today. God, I know that this is bigger than a moment. This is bigger than just an hour set aside on Sunday. This is a lifestyle of finding our place in you. I pray, Lord, that this moment would be a catalyst, a stirring, a hunger, a thirst in our hearts for our church to start this year, God, with a passion for your presence. Lord, a passion for prayer, a passion to be used by you. God, I pray that in our quiet moments, when we're alone, God, when we're in bed at night, Lord, when we're driving in our car, when we get a few quiet moments in our homes, Lord God, that uh, church wouldn't just be about coming to this building, but I pray that you'd be stirring us a longing for your presence outside of this place. And God, in those intimate moments with you, would you come and speak to us? Or would you come, just put aside our fears, put aside our doubts, Lord, if it's from you, Lord, we want all you have for us. So would you come and correct us and come and convict us and come and, and bring us into this place of relationship with you, Jesus, we pray. And out of that, Lord, will we have a closeness, will we have a power, a power to live our life righteously before you, but also as witnesses of yours in this city and in this region that we live in, God. There's no greater time in this uh, earth, Lord, than we've needed the power and the presence of Jesus to be manifest in our city, God. And so we pray that us, your people, will be filled with courage and boldness to go and proclaim your goodness in Jesus' name. 
Help us to love each other greatly. Help us to bless each other. In Jesus' name we pray. Hallelujah.